In Germany, states run their local schools. State officials appoint the principals, they set the curriculum, they determine the length of the school day. But in the United States, it is the local school board with the help of its superintendent that makes these decisions and many others. In most school districts, the board members are chosen in local elections. But sometimes the state takes over local districts if financial irregularities are detected or corruption suspected and if students are performing poorly on state exams. The state superintendent may dismiss the board and assume direct control of the schools. Well, that's happened, uh, but it doesn't always work out so well. But in Camden, New Jersey, this kind of state takeover in 2013 proved to be very successful. New Jersey's state superintendent appointed Payman Ruhanifard, superintendent of Camden schools, and for the next five years, Superintendent Ruhanifard not only straightened out school finances, but took numerous steps to give students in Camden an opportunity for a better education. Once a new system had been put into place, he resigned and he, a new superintendent is evolved and every expectation is that the schools will return to the control of the local community. So I'm very pleased to have with me today on the Education Exchange, uh, Superintendent Payment Ruhanavard. Payment, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you for having me. Well, um, Superintendent Ruhanavar, let's start from the beginning. What prompted the New Jersey State Department of Education to assume direct responsibility for the management of the schools in Camden? Well, I'll start by saying that it wasn't a surprise to anyone in Camden and throughout Jersey who know Camden. There were de decades of challenges, and not just academic in nature with test scores, but operational and physical challenges. And you can find the headlines in the newspaper. There were financial fraud uh, inside of schools in the central office. Uh, there was a lack of responsiveness to students and families where uh, phone calls were rarely ever answered and parents just felt left out of the equation. So really a whole host of issues. And even in 1998, there was a plea from the local um, uh, you know, public leaders and, and elected officials asking the state to get involved. So it really just goes back a long ways. How do they do this? What, what's the legal authority under which the state superintendent or the governor appoints you, how, how does it actually work from a legal point of view? There's this clunky accountability tool called CUSAC, Quality School Accountability Continuum, where every district in the state gets assessed on an annual basis. And there's a, there's a number score on five categories. Uh, and if you fall below 80 uh, on multiple categories, then it can trigger uh, a review from the state and ultimately an intervention, meaning a takeover of the district. And Camden had been well below 80 on all five categories for a for some time. And uh, it was Governor Chris Christie uh, and, you know, more specifically, Commissioner Chris Cerf, uh, who uh, kind of led that decision-making process to uh, to move forward on Camden. So usually when outsiders come into town, uh, the locals wonder what's going on here, and they don't give the outsider a perfectly uh, enthusiastic reception. So what was the situation that uh, you faced in this, in, in this, in 2013? Well, similar. It's a, uh, it's a really tough decision to be made and one that uh, involves, to put it pretty bluntly, it, it involves disenfranchising a community, right? And so in Camden, you had a city where 
the police department was no longer under local control. It was under the county. Even the even the city, certain operations, there were fiscal monitors put into place by the state. And now here goes the school district, right? I will say that the State Department of Education, the governor's office, local elected officials, there was a very collaborative uh, relationship, politically speaking, where they made my job a whole lot easier. So when the state led that decision, the school board actually said, you know what, it's time. <laughs> We've been struggling and you know, I, I don't wanna use the word acquiesce, but we're gonna at least give this a try and see where it goes. Uh, and so when I came in, while there was certainly some pushback, that sort of political stability um, helped us a great deal. But you did hold back a bit from instituting all the reforms that you were hoping to carry out for a period of time until you built some connections with the community. Yeah, you're, you're certainly right about that. We spent the first couple of years not making sweeping radical changes. We certainly implemented some changes and, um, and, and you know, had a strategic plan we put into place and all of those things, but nothing that was, uh, that sent shockwaves in the system, to your point. Uh, and we really spent the time getting to know the city and its people and our students and families. And I think by humanizing the work and uh, and, uh, versus being, you know, technocratic leaders of, of, of the school system and just being out in the community, uh, that ultimately paid significant dividends in the long run. Well, what was your core reform strategy? Uh, we'll get to how well it worked in a, in a minute, although all the reports I get is that it worked pretty well. But, but how, what was the core reform strategy? So we had a theory of change that we articulated endlessly as we were getting to know our community. And that theory of change set a few basic, uh, set a few basic stipulations. One, that the root of our challenges uh, uh, are, is poverty, uh, which is decades in the making, and, and that's begat by centuries of injustice, right? And so this is a really profound challenge, and we are not here to lay the blame um, lay blame at the feet of educators, uh, any one group, any one institution. Secondly, we stipulated politics and bureaucracies have inhibited the progress our students and families deserve. And so you've got the steep mountain to climb that is born out of centuries of injustice. However, we as a system have not met the potential of our young people. And the way that plays out, I'm um, speaking about governance and the school board and the and the mayor and the and the governor and the commissioner, like all these well-intentioned stakeholders have all tried to make Camden better. Uh, but the net effect has been one that has generated turnover, turmoil, and chaos for schools. Uh, and so I was the 13th superintendent in 16 years when I came in <laughs> because every time there was some new program rolled out, there was pushback, resistance. One of those stakeholders disagreed and it, it got it got pulled. And you know, superintendents didn't want to sit around and, uh, and 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 deal with all that, and so one would come in and one would leave, and um, and that again, that was the norm. And teachers' heads were spinning, parents felt left out of the equation, and most consequentially and tragically, students suffered the consequences. And when we were speaking with our community members, we would point to examples like Camden High and how the building had been falling apart for decades, and it hadn't been repaired. And the reason it hadn't been repaired is 
some people blame the school board because they didn't pull the plan together fast enough to uh, to do the reconstruction back in 2007. There was a $107 million plan. Some people blame the mayor who didn't advocate strongly enough to execute on that plan. And some people blame the governor who changed the formula on, uh, on implementing the $107 million reconstruction plan. It all vanished because the system failed the students. And the building, when we came in in 2013, was still crumbling like it was back in you know the late 90s. So look, I say all that to say our theory of action was that we wanted to lead governance change. And we wanted to bring in nonprofit organizations to help us turn around our most struggling schools. And that means that the district was gonna segue out of being the monopoly operator of schools and instead be a regulator of a system of schools. And so those nonprofit schools their governance structure creates a buffer from those politics and bureaucracies that created the whiplashing changes. They have independent, self-perpetuating nonprofit boards. Well, and you found some of the best uh, charter networks in the country to come into Camden, didn't you? I mean, the KIPP was there and Uncommon Schools. uh, And Mastery, that's right, KIPP, Uncommon, and Mastery. There were some other pre-existing charters in the city. Those three came in to run Renaissance schools, which were hybrid charter district schools that acted as neighborhood schools. So, uh, and uh, tell me about the consequences. Uh, What were some of the signposts that you were able to identify that showed that you were making headway against all these challenges that you've identified? Well, certainly student achievement and math and literacy test scores uh, uh, significantly improved. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, uh, there's really a long way to go even today, right, six six years after the fact, because our starting point um, was so low. So 4% proficiency in literacy, 7% in math. Uh, and today we've, we've, we've more than tripled those numbers, uh, up to 17 to 21% respectively. But that's real progress, and we're really proud of that. And you know, our, our, our students and families, you can, you can see and feel you know, the progress inside of schools uh, as those test scores have improved. In addition to that, our schools are safer, and our uh, our city as a whole is safer, and a lot of credit goes to our mayor and police chief for that. But we instituted safe corridors uh, in the passageways to and from schools because public safety was a concern we heard from a lot of families. Uh, the buildings themselves, we've taken a more restorative approach to, uh, to discipline, and so um, we have uh, invested in uh, trauma-informed care, uh, professional development, and we've um, we've created uh, 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 deans of culture and climate to create these better environments for young people. So as test scores have improved, so is the culture and climate inside of schools. And then the other thing I would say is the physical revitalization of buildings has been so significant. So we finally got Camden High done, right? Finally, in, in 2018, uh, the, the, the reconstruction project began, or the a brand new building, I should say, is being constructed. And our Renaissance School partners significantly renovated uh, 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 about 11 or 12 school buildings across the city. Uh, and these are buildings that have such significant histories and, and, and importance to our residents. Uh, and so you know, th- those are the main things that come to mind, culture and climate, student achievement, and also just uh, physical revitalization of buildings that were decaying. So what was your relationship with the teachers' union? I mean, ordinarily, the teachers' unions in the United States have been fighting charter schools and uh, the school choice kind of arrangements, uh, yet they seem to have been uh, willing to accept these changes. Uh, how did you handle that challenge? I'm not sure if I would say willing to accept uh, the changes. The first four years of my five years, we had a 
good working relationship with the teachers union president. The fifth year, there was a new president who came in who would definitely push back harder than the first one. You know, all in all, our ability to withstand some of the political headwinds had a lot to do with the serendipity of that starting point that I referenced earlier, where uh, Chris Cerf, the commissioner of education, did a wonderful job of laying the groundwork and, and having a collaborative relationship with the school board that preexisted us and the mayor in the city and the political machine. You know, Jersey has uh, what they call a political machine kind of up and down the state. And so uh, they were they were part of the, the equation. Um, I think we also helped humanize the work in ways that uh, allowed us to maintain that level of support. And so, um, you know, I don't always think about the teachers union. I just think about the entirety of the city and you know, faith-based leaders and community-based leaders and, um, and sitting down in student roundtables. I think all of those things by being out in the community as much as humanly possible helped create a lot of goodwill to build on the foundation that was laid for us. Well, you know, part of being a good superintendent is knowing when to leave. And, of course, as you pointed out, uh, superintendents left uh, very quickly in Camden before your arrival. You were there for, what was it, five or six years? Five years. Five years, which is uh, about twice, three times the length of uh, any of your predecessors. Uh, What... uh, how how is the transition going? Are you able to keep those reforms that you've instituted in place as uh, as you're moving on? So when you think about the benefits of a charter or renaissance school, they will outlast any superintendent because you can't put that toothpaste back on the tube. The, uh, the next school board or the superintendent can't take those schools away. They're filled with students and teachers who will, who will fight for those schools. And so from that standpoint, that is very sustainable. For the direct-run schools, the district-run schools, we have to certainly be mindful of the sustainability uh, plan there. And you know, thankfully, my deputy, uh, our deputy superintendent, Katrina McCombs, who was on our team, she is now the, the superintendent in Camden. And uh, I'm glad that uh, Governor Phil Murphy made that ultimate determination uh, to uh, to promote her and, and make her the permanent superintendent. And she's very much moving forward with the, s- the same plans we had. And she's somebody who is from Camden, is Camden's first daughter, uh, and uh, and just amazingly talented. Well, you've taken on a new job, uh, Paymont, uh, and it's uh, it's uh, called Propel America, which uh, you're the, uh, the uh, CEO for. Um, can you tell me uh, what is Propel America all about? So Propel America is a, is a nonprofit that empowers high school graduates with the skills, credentials, social networks, and experiences they need to land a, a strong, upperly mobile first job uh, within one year of high school graduation. And you know the reason we started this organization is seeing the benefits and the improvements inside of our uh, classrooms in Camden um, was, a, was a wonderful feeling. And at the same time, we recognized that there were some pitfalls to uh, the, the, the vast number of students who were enrolling in two and four-year colleges and dropping out. So we changed the college culture inside of our high schools. Incredibly proud of that. Uh, but as that college enrollment rate went up, we saw a hockey stick increase in, in dropouts. And so we just, and I say we because our team, you know, we came together as former educators. Uh, my, our co-founder is John White, who's the state superintendent of education in Louisiana. Deborah Kershan, who's our chief operating officer, we all work together in the New York City Department of Ed. And we're just always constantly trading notes about how things were playing out in different parts of the country. And these trends were happening in Louisiana, happening in New Jersey. Um, so how can we create another option for young people to avoid that pitfall? And 
the problem we're addressing is essentially this this false and at times cruel choice of young people from low-income communities having to choose between forestalling um, uh, income and accruing debt in pursuit of a traditional degree or forestalling mobility and education to go uh, work at Foot Locker, Cheesecake Factory, some entry-level job without opportunities to advance. And so Propel creates this third way where students can go to a community college and get a credential that will allow them to get a middle-class wage within one year of high school graduation, and they can accrue credits toward an associate and bachelor's degree. And if they want to pursue that future degree, they will have found some economic stability coming out of high school very quickly. And so we pay our students a stipend and cover their tuition while they do uh, that coursework at a community college. And, and so that coursework can be 12 weeks to you know, 25, 30 weeks uh, at most, and, uh, and you get a credential and, uh, and a middle-class wage. So uh, where are you uh, starting this? I mean, where, where are, what parts of the country are you now operating in? We piloted in South Jersey and Camden, and also in Louisiana and in Baton Rouge. Uh, given myself and John um, have pre-existing ties there. And we have since uh, started up in uh, Western Massachusetts and Springfield and Holyoke and also in um, Providence, Rhode Island. So do you have some uh, signs of success with this venture or is it too early to tell? Well, we're incredibly excited. Our, our pilot year, we had uh, a small cohort in both of those regions in New Jersey and Louisiana, and we're just incredibly excited by what we learned and experienced. And you know, our our, our young adults who are with us, we call them our fellows. Uh, more than ninety percent of them are going to complete their credential. Um, some have already finished. Um, others are still in the classroom, but they're trending toward completing their credential. Uh, and then from there, we're going to place them into jobs, and we feel very good uh, about. We have pre-existing employer partnerships with large hospital chains and um, companies that hire into IT service type jobs and also on advanced manufacturing. And so the jobs are there at the other, at the other end of the rainbow. Uh, and our students are very much on track to, uh, to be placed in those jobs. Well, actually, something like this uh, you would think would be in the high schools. Why is it that we need an organization such as yours when the high school should really be creating these kinds of opportunities? It's a really good question. So in our estimation, CTE has failed to deliver on this connection to economic prosperity. And so some CTE programs are built better than others in terms of the classroom experience. But across the board, across the country, we see that there is not a robust connection to the jobs themselves. Uh, and so students will accrue credits, in some cases get certain credentials, but they don't align to uh, the actual needs of employers. And no one's there to help make that connection for them, or, or oftentimes you don't see that uh, at a systems level. And so that's where we come in. And we're not just working with CD programs, we're working with the entirety of a high school and any student who may be interested in what we call a third way, uh, where you're bringing together the best of both worlds. You're going to a community college, and you're going to find economic stability, um, you know, with a decent-paying job, in, in, in short order. And on top of that, we provide ongoing educational planning. And I think that's another thing that's hard for school systems and community colleges and employers to do because they're all siloed. And so what we do is we offer our students a roadmap 
so that they know how to do a tuition reimbursement program to get their associate's degree and get an ultimately a bachelor's degree. Um, but right now, the system is, uh, is their incentives are misaligned. And, and while employers and community colleges and, 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 and K-12 operators are all well-intentioned, the whole is not greater than some of the parts. And really, we believe that's our role, to be that system's connective tissue. Well, it sounds as if you're closing the gaps. Uh, and uh, this is really an exciting new venture. Uh, I wish you all the best on, uh, as you propel America forward. Uh, thank you very much for joining me today, uh, Payman, on the Education Exchange. Thank you again for having me. Really enjoyed it. I have been speaking with Payman Ruhanafard, former superintendent of schools in Camden, New Jersey, and currently head of Propel America, a nonprofit dedicated to providing a second chance for young adults. Thank you, Superintendent Ruhanafard, for joining me on the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education X website every Monday at noon Eastern time.